Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I invite you to read along with me in your Bible and in your bulletin. Hear these words from the Apostle Paul. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are, acti- there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Friends, when I read this passage of Scripture, I can only think of one thing, and that is my year in kindergarten. Um, I went to kindergarten at Mountain Park Elementary School in Roswell, Georgia. My teacher was Mrs. Schwartz. I don't know if anybody else remembers some of their elementary school teachers. They were uh, foundational. And I I was fond of kindergarten, and there was a lot I loved about kindergarten. I loved the blocks. The blocks were good. I loved drawing pictures. Drawing pictures was always fun. I loved having people come in and read to us. I remember that was a big deal, the mystery reader. Somebody was coming in to read us a book and then would turn the book around and show us the pictures. That was epic. But nothing in kindergarten was better than our classroom jobs. Everybody in the classroom had a different job, and you rotated these jobs every week. I don't know if y'all had this, but you had jobs like the, the announcer, or the door holder, or the bathroom monitor, that was a good one, or the the book station manager, the brain break monitor, the plant person, the chair stacker, the caboose, the helper, all of which were great jobs. They were great. But you know what job was valued high above all others? Anybody? Line leader. Everybody knows. (laughs) Everybody knows that. The line leader, that was the holy grail of classroom jobs. By the way, all of these classroom jobs, they really make the world go round in in kindergarten. It brings a certain order to the chaos that tiny humans can create. But do you know how to undo that order? You take somebody's classroom job. Somebody's that's not yours. I remember like it was yesterday. It was my turn to be line leader. I know, it's my turn to be king for a day. Everybody lined up and I got in the front where I was supposed to be, but another kid got in front of me. Mm. That is unjust. 
And when prompted by the teacher to move because I was the line leader, you know what that kid said? I'll tell you what he said. He said this, I want to be line leader. Sure, kid, everybody wants to be line leader. This was my week, but he continued to insist, and the teacher continued to ask him to get in line, and pretty soon, echoes of voices could be heard around the room, multiple children now saying, I want to be line leader. And all of a sudden, the peace and order brought about by everybody having their own special job in the classroom, everybody working together in harmony, it was all over. You know what's interesting is that decades after kindergarten, I find that not much changes <laughs> into adulthood, does it? Many people never quite mature out of that mindset, it seems. We still fight over our place in line. We still fight over who gets to do what. We still fight over our individual wants and desires. And in the process, we suffer. Others suffer. The body suffers. Peace becomes a figment of the imagination, and chaos finds its way back in. From the very beginning, ever since the birth of the church on Pentecost Sunday, by the way, today is that day. It's the birthday. Happy birthday, church. You don't have to say anything back. But ever since that day, we, the church, have, have tried to be characterized largely by the way we share life together, the good and the bad and everything in between. The early church gathering was called koinonia, which literally means to share things in common. And this was all for the sake of building a new kind of order in the midst of the chaos. The church was and is meant to function as a manner of ordering our lives against the chaos of the world and toward a vision of the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. And the church sometimes is kind of like, it's kind of like a classroom job in a kindergarten class. And according to the book of Acts, Pentecost, according to that story, this is after Jesus, after Jesus had died and after he'd risen and after he had ascended to heaven. Actually, I saw a meme yesterday that called Jesus Ascension Day the day that Jesus started working from home. Anybody? Oh, y'all are, y'all are laughing at that. Um, but after all of that, after Jesus had ascended, the disciples were sitting in a room, and y'all remember this story. If you've heard of Pentecost, a mighty wind comes in and fire appears above each head and the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples and, and they go out and they, they preach the message of Jesus in different languages and Peter preaches his first sermon and he says, your sins are forgiven, Re repent, change your lives, receive the Holy Spirit. This is a promise for you, for your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord invites. And today we celebrate that moment, the moment when the breath of God fell upon human beings and they were given a mission and the mission was to reach as many as possible. The message was the gospel, and the means became the church. And right after Pentecost, we're given an image of the early church in Acts chapter 2. It's pretty idealistic, if you ask me. And it's before church buildings, before sanctuaries, before committee meetings. It's a simple image of folks who, it says, were united and shared everything. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated goodness to everybody. I love that image. A church that shared everything, that shared meals, that shared each other's burdens. This early church truly sought to accomplish the mission of Christ on earth together. And I love that. By the way, I love that when Luke describes the church in that passage, he adds this detail at the end. He says, and they added to their community daily. What does that tell you? 
Well, that tells me that, that people saw an alternative to the way the world was and they wanted in. They saw an alternative to the kindergarten line leader fights of the world. They saw an alternative way of being, an alternative to putting the individual needs above the whole and they knocked on the door and they asked, is there any room for us in there because we're desperate for what you've got? And that same thing still happens today when we see something good happening. We gotta find out more, we have to join in and we end up wanting to share that same thing elsewhere. And that's how a lot of the early church began. The Holy Spirit began working in in a few people or one person and that person shared something with another and that person with another and before you knew it, the Holy Spirit had planted churches everywhere and largely used Paul to do it. That's what happened to the Corinthians. That's what happened in Corinth. The Spirit moved and Paul planted the church. And for a while, I'm sure, it felt just like that ideal church from Acts chapter two, people sharing everything engaging in weekly worship, caring for one another, taking up a collection, sharing meals and communion. But it didn't take long for conflict to rear its head. Paul gets word of this pretty quick, and he writes to this church, and he says, I've heard you're losing sight of your original purpose. I've heard the meals and prayers you share together. They're no longer life-giving. I hear that your weekly worship gathering is becoming more about the individual and less about the whole. I hear that some... Some of you are having intense religious experiences, which isn't bad. Don't hear me say that. But it is starting to be more about you than it is about the church. I've also heard that people are starting to interrupt one another in the middle of the prayer meeting. (laughs) This is starting to distract people. This is starting to keep people from wanting to join in. This is taking away from what you were meant to be. This is taking away from our purpose and, frankly, You remind me a little bit of a classroom of children who are falling out of line. And Paul tells this young church, there are always going to be differences between you. Specifically, here, there there are always going to be different kinds of spiritual gifts and different ministries and different activities. You all have gifts and skills and talents. You all have different jobs, and that's great. But that means that some people are going to be wiser than others, and that's okay. That's their gift. Others are going to have, it's going to feel like others have greater faith, and that's okay, that's their gift. Still, others are going to be good at healing, and some are going to be really good at teaching, and that's okay, that's their gift. You need all of these things together in one pot, and these gifts are given so that when put together, you have this beautiful community filled with all of the gifts, united and working together to share in the message and gospel of Jesus Christ. The Spirit does many different things through different people, and you need all the differences. Can you imagine if you were one big church of teachers or one big church of healers? You need both. One scholar translates it like this. You need the mason, the carpenter, the electrician, the painter, the engineer, the plumber, if you're wanting to build that house. Oh, and by the way, all of this comes from one God. And it is the same God who works in all the different people who are part of this little community. One God and the Spirit is doing all of this for the common good. That's what Paul says, for the good of the whole. And that Spirit doesn't split apart, giving each of us a tiny portion. No, rather the Spirit of God is one, and we are all baptized by that one Spirit into one body, uniting us together with a bond that does away with all earthly tribalism and delineations. There is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no, long, 
no longer line leader and caboose. There is no longer teacher and student. There's no longer employer and employee. There is no longer citizen or non-citizen. There is no longer Republican or Democrat. There is no longer Methodist or Baptist, Protestant or Catholic. There is one because Christ is one. There is one. And everything should be shared because you are one. You should live in service to each other as one. You should share all things because you are one. And sure, it's going to be difficult. Anything worthwhile often is. I once asked a pastor friend how church was going, and he said it'd be a lot easier without any people there. (laughs) Sure, because it's hard. It's messy. But it's good, and it comes from one source. So how do we do this? How do we remain one in spirit? William Barclay, scholar and preacher, has some tips, some tricks of the trade that might help us. He lists three things. He says, try these. First, realize that we need each other. We got to realize that. We can't do this without each other. We need each other. Second, we got to respect each other. No good conversation happens out of a lack of respect. And third, he says, we got to sympathize with each other. Because if any, any one part of the body is affected, Everybody else suffers in sympathy because we can't help it. The church as a whole, the person who cannot see beyond his or her own organization, the person who cannot see beyond his or her own congregation, worse still, the person who cannot see beyond his or her own family circle has not even begun to grasp the real unity of the church. The real unity of the church. What is the real unity of the church? One chapter Beyond our passage today, we, were, we read from chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul sums it up. The real unity of the church is built on faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is? Paul tells the Corinthians in a passage that has largely been secluded for weddings to love one another. And then he instructs them on what this is supposed to look like as a community. And you remember this, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But Paul is not addressing this to a bride and groom. He's addressing the church. This should describe well the community, the body of Christ. If you still don't understand, take the word love out of that passage and insert the word church. Because I think that's what Paul is after. Paul says, I need a church that is patient and kind. If you want to remain together, if you want to remain one, I need a church that doesn't envy or boast, that isn't arrogant or rude. I need a church that does not insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful, that does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rather rejoices with the truth. I need a church that should bear all things, that believes all things, that hopes all things, that endures all things, because the church's purpose runs deeper than the foundations of the earth, and the church's foundation goes back long before time began. Paul says that's how you remain focused and together, unfazed by differences in gifts or skills or classroom jobs. You You turn into love. That's how you stay one. That's how you remain one body. That's the real unity of the church. And though it may not always feel like you are one, Your source is one, and thus you are continually and constantly becoming one. When yesterday, when I got the call, uh, 
that Tammy wasn't doing well and that she wasn't going to make it, I was sitting with that news. I couldn't help but think about what Tammy has done for us. For those of you who don't know, Tammy was our church hostess. She prepared many, many meals through the years for this church, for events, for Wednesday night suppers, for all kinds of things. But more than that, she was so fun and funny and full of joy. She cared for us and she fed us and she did it with a smile and with such love and care. And when I think of Tammy and her role here, I can only think that she shared a lot in common with the early church. Remember, the early church shared everything together, especially around the dinner table. And I think they did so because God knows what can happen around a good meal and some conversation. I think the Spirit knows that's where community can start and that's where community can grow and that's an easy place for us to become one with one another. And that's who Tammy was to us. She created so many of those meals that we ate together and as we ate under her watch, we grew in relationship with one another. And friends, I gotta believe that Tammy knew what she was doing. I think she knew that power of a meal around a table. After all, she got her orders from the one who would consecrate the table and the meal and thus make us one with him, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Tammy presided over us with all our skills and gifts and thoughts and ideas and differences, and she provided food and tables, a place to sit, so the differences between us were minimized and we might see the Spirit working in our neighbor and start to understand that we are one. And I can only imagine a day that if Paul wrote wrote to our church, wrote to the 21st century church today, he might say something like, unity is difficult, so for the sake of remaining one, for the sake of your church, make sure you got a lot of Tammies because they bring you together with a meal around a table. May it be so. Let us pray. Gracious God, we're thankful for folks in our lives who bring us together, who find a way to make us one. We're thankful that in the midst of a world that seems to constantly be dividing, you are calling us to be one with all our skills and gifts and differences. You are calling us to oneness. And you are calling us to oneness in Jesus Christ who suffered, died, and rose again that we might have life and have it to the fullest. For that, God, we are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.